0: Good morning. I was thinking as we were going through the beginning of worship, uh, I want you to know that I'll never be apologetic for the passion and the energy that we need to bring to worship, and I hope it starts with Sean and with myself, and it is something that you want to be a part of as we lift up in praise and thanksgiving, whether it be music, whether it be the scripture, whether it be prayer. That our worship is always top notch, not because it's a performance, not because we have quality control, because we're giving praise to our Father in heaven. So I hope that you will always join me in that because this is a great place to be. It should be filled with passion. It should be filled with energy. And this morning, this morning we're going to do the other side of the uh, bookshelf, the bookend sermons. Last week, of course, you heard to judge or not to judge. I was talking to someone earlier in the week, and they said, you know, I'm not so sure it's judge as it is condemn, to condemn or not to condemn, because we are all prone to some type of judgment. We all have a tendency to do that. It's almost innate in our nature. It's when that judgment moves and we start condemning others for who they are or what they say or what they look like. So maybe I should say to condemn or not to condemn, to judge or not to judge. But you know the answer. Even today's sermon, you already know the answer before I preach it. We could just wrap it up right now and go have coffee and donuts, right? Amen. That's not going to happen. To love or not to love. You know what that answer is before I start. But I thought today I might remind you of a few simple facts, because even though you know it and I know it, it is so difficult to actually do. And so I wonder if you would join me today in the Gospel of John as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And if you will stand with me, we will go to the 15th chapter and start with the very first verse in his word this day. This is what John writes as Jesus Christ is teaching. Christ says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. God's blessing upon the reading of his word this day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father God, hear our words. Know our hearts this day. Teach us from your word and then always, Father, show us the path that we are to tread in using those words in our lives. Help us, Father, to be living examples of what Christ speaks about, to abide in him and he in us. Let us not simply learn how to love, Father. Let us be about love. Bless now these words and these teachings. Help me, Father, to hide in the shadow of the cross that you might speak, that we once again might have ears to hear, eyes with which to see and hearts with which to feel. In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. The young man was uh, seated next to his father at breakfast one morning, and he told his dad, he said, Dad, I'm going to get married. His dad looked over the morning newspaper and said, well, how do you know you're ready to get married, asked his father. Are you in love? The young man said, I sure am. His father said, well, now, how do you know you're in love? With? And his son said, well, I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight last night, and her dog bit me, and I didn't feel the pain until I got home. Same reaction at 901. Worked all week on that. When was, the first, when was the first time you told a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you love them? I love you. Or how about for you who are married, when did you tell your spouse, I love you? Do you remember that? I don't think Lori's here right now. I think she's in with the kids so I can get away with this. I don't remember. I think it was in the basement of her apartment. No, basement of her parents' house that I told her I love her. I don't really remember, but I do remember that I had feelings about that. And I was wondering what would happen. I, I said, You know, I, I really think I love her. Why should I tell her? Should I tell her? What if she doesn't have the same feelings for me? You know, is she gonna be embarrassed? Am I sticking my neck out? Is our relationship going to change because I use those words? Maybe I should wait for a while before I tell her that five, six years. Okay? I do remember. I do remember. It's been a long time ago, but I still say those words, I love you, perhaps not as frequently as I should. And I still love to hear those words, I love you. Those are the three most powerful words in any language. They do more for us and do more to change us than any other words we experience. They make a big difference in our lives and the lives that we touch if they are genuine and authentic. Jesus said, no one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for another person. You shall love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. John's gospel expands on that using the metaphor of the grapevine. That we need to be attached We need to be abiding in Christ as Christ abides in us because that's how we get fed. That's where our love comes from. It's a continuing love, not simply to know love, but to be able to show love because we abide in him. If we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide also in God. We need to be connected At all times and in all places. Love is what it's all about. That's the central teaching of Jesus. The kingdom of God is about love. Justice and righteousness are about love. Love is the energy that feeds us. It's what keeps us alive. And love should always be our goal. Not simply a word we use, but something that we live into. The essence of God is... Love. He's the prime mover. He's the creator of the entire universe. And he is love. That's how we see and discover love. And the manifestation, the manifestation of his love is in Jesus Christ. I know we're three months away from Christmas. But remember this three months hence. He came to be flesh and to dwell among us so that we might know physically in front of us in flesh the love of God. That is what Christ is about. That's what we need to always remember. The Word of God, which is love, finally became flesh. And in the life of Jesus Christ, we see that love as a, as a binding relationship, as a willingness to sacrifice, as a willingness even to lay down one's life for another, because Jesus Christ is the prime example of that. Greater love has no one, says Jesus, than to lay down one's life for others. And Jesus' life is certainly a demonstration of that. In the end, the bottom line is is that God wants us to love one another. That's pure and simple. It's God's commandment to us. Love sums up all the commandments and the authority behind it. Remember, when I say commandment, this is not an option. This is not a theory. This is not some far-fetched philosophy This is not something you kick around. It's not a question or a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's just like thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. We always slide away from the thou not, shall not. This is a command to do. This is a command to love. And it is a commandment. Love as defined by our faith is somewhat of a panacea and somewhat of an unemployed practice. Somewhat of a panacea and somewhat of an unemployed practice. You know, if we said that love is the solution, that that will solve all the world's problems, we are absolutely correct. And we are foolish if we think that's actually going to happen. I realize that. It sounds wonderful and grand. And it is true. Who would argue with that? The trouble is, all of us have in our lives examples of sitting down at a table, eyeball to eyeball, With someone who is especially cantankerous or obnoxious or difficult or unlovable. And then we find it very, very difficult to love our neighbor as ourselves. And it raises some interesting questions, none of which I'm going to address today, about our attitude toward people who don't look like us or sound like us or smell like us. And yet they are still God's children. We have to remember what we need to be about. Whether they are another nationality, another color, or another belief altogether, we have been asked to love them. And I shouldn't say asked, I should say commanded. And in order to deal with these implications, we have to remember that every day of our lives. I draw that attention to you, not because I'm going to address it, but because we need to make sure that we are not narrow as we think about others, that just because they don't look like us or smell like us or talk like us, they're not lovable. And sometimes we have to overcome our own barriers. Sometimes we have to overcome the obstacles in our own life, but that's what we're asked to do, to love one another. So everybody here knows it's about love, right? Sermon's over. We can all go home, watch TV. Wrong. You're going to ask, what am I supposed to do, pastor? You keep talking about love. Well, how am I actually supposed to do this? Let me remind you of things that you already know, but just three simple attributes that you need to remember when I say, love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, you need to know that love is more than a feeling. It's not just something that dwells up inside of you. It is an attitude with which to be in relationship with others. We may not always feel love, but we can always do the loving thing. Hear me? We may not always feel love, but we can always do the loving thing. Can you think of someone at work or in your family or your next door neighbor that you kind of find unlovable? You don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart for that person? Because love is not just simply a feeling. It's an attitude. You can still do a loving thing for somebody. Perhaps you've been hurt by somebody. Perhaps their words have cut you off at the knees. Perhaps you think they don't deserve your love. As a follower of Jesus Christ, that doesn't prevent you from acting in a loving manner. You don't have to feel a certain way to be loving towards someone else. Maybe that means you forgive them. Maybe you give them another chance. Maybe you sacrifice your own pride. Maybe it means you don't seek out revenge. Maybe it is you don't talk to, about, to, about to other people behind their back. You can still be loving without that feeling of love welling up inside because love is more than a feeling. It's an attitude. We don't have to wait for the feeling of love to actually love. We can love without that feeling. And I encourage you to think about somebody that you find extremely unlovable, that you may not get a warm, fuzzy feeling, and yet God has asked you to love, to have that attitude of love. You know, your love for that person may not change that person, but I can guarantee it will change you. It will change you. Secondly, love is more than just simply a belief. Love is more than a philosophy. It's experience. It's what we experience. You know love when you feel it, don't you? You know when you're genuinely loved. You know when you're authentically loved. It's more than just some ether philosophy out there, it's an experience. When I was the pastor at Trinity Covington up in Latonia, we had a daycare center. We operated it five days a week, and it was absolutely great to see the kids. They ran all over creation, out there on the playground, in the gym. Watch these little four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds. It was great to be a part of nurturing them and watching them grow up. But there was one little boy who was always constantly in trouble. He would throw Legos. He would flush things down the toilet that don't really go down the toilet. He would bite the other children, all apparently for no reason whatsoever. And the ladies who worked at this daycare were wonderful. They had the patience of Job. I could never do it, but they were wonderful. But the caveat they used, the last weaponry they had in their back pocket when a kid misbehaved, was, don't make me send you to the pastor's office. For those, some of those children, it was like going to see God. Not that I'm God, but it was like going to see God. That's the last thing you wanted. And yet this little boy of whom I speak had been to my office several times. Several times. I started out by scolding him and telling him that he was bad, that he should behave better, and that actually he wanted to be a good little boy. That didn't work. And then I preached to him. I preached to him on how you should be a good little boy and how other little boys and little girls would love it if you were a good little boy. That didn't work either. So one day he got called to my office yet again. He came and he sat in the chair and you could tell his lips were quivering and he was head pout. And instead of doing anything else, I went over to the chair next to him and I I put out my hand like this, and at first he didn't do anything, but I put out my hand like this, didn't say anything, and he finally put his little hand in mine. I'm sure deep down inside he thought I was going to cut it off or something like that, but I told him very simply, I love you. He didn't say anything at first, so I paused, and I said again, I love you. And suddenly, it was like somebody turned on a faucet. The tears just poured down from his eyes. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we just sat there and loved one another. Now, I wish I could tell you that this little boy turned into the poster child of children for daycare. He didn't, but he never had to come to my office again. And oftentimes when the kids were on the playground or when I was in the gym with the kids, he would come over and tug on my trousers or reach up for my hand, smile to show me something because for the first time I think in his life, and I don't know what his family background was, but for the first time in his life, he had experienced somebody genuinely saying, I love you and showing that love. Because love is not a philosophy or a belief. It's an experience. It has to be genuine, genuine but it is an experience. And that little boy was forever changed. Experiencing love, even in the words, made all the difference in his behavior. And lastly, I want to tell you that love is a lot more than just words. Even though I use the words with the little boy, love is action. You know, I can say I love you to my wife And incidentally, she snuck back in the sanctuary. She's back there in the back. I can say I love you to my wife or my children or my friend, but if it doesn't show in my behavior, if it's not genuine in nature, then my words are like what? The clanging cymbal? The noisy gong? You know, I will often tell you I love you, and I mean that. Even when you're unlovable, I love you. As a pastor, you know, you'll look at me and say, Well, that's what you're called to do. You gotta do that. You know, that's we expect you to do that. It's not easy. I'm just like you. I'm just as broken and as worn as you all. But when I say that, I genuinely mean I love you. There's nothing artificial about that. We can say that we believe in God, that we believe in the Bible that we we believe in forgiving sinners, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, but unless that reality is not in our words but in our actions, we're just clanging cymbals. We're just noisy gongs. We can say we trust God, that God is going to take care of us, that we don't have any other gods before us, but the real test of our love is not in our words but in our actions. That's where the rubber meets the road. Love is sacrifice, love is obedience, love is partnership, love is turning the other cheek. Not just talking about it, but actually doing it. We may say, I love to tell the story, but the world's not looking for your song. The world is looking for your action. The action behind the words. And love manifests itself in so many different ways. Love manifests itself in how we spend our money. In how we vote. In how we treat those who are less fortunate than we are. How we treat those who don't deserve our love in any way, shape, or form. It manifests itself there. It manifests itself in how we treat other people. You know, we come together each week in this church. We come to worship But we don't have to go to church, do we? Not really. You don't have to go to church to be a better Christian. You certainly don't have to go to church to know your salvation. That's not necessary at all. We come together to experience God's love in a fresh, new way every week. We come to explore new ways that mean love and that we can show love, not just amongst ourselves, but once we leave these doors, these walls. If you want to sit out there and absorb everything like a sponge, that's fine, but you better leave those doors and squish yourself out there. All the love that you attract in here, you better squish out there because it's not for you to keep. Sean and I talked about this briefly before this service. He likes to use breathing. Just keep breathing in all the time. You know, after a while, you can't hold any more oxygen. Somewhere along the line, you have to exhale. Somewhere along the line, you've got to get rid of that oxygen. You can have all the love in the world in this place, but when you exit those doors, you better share that love with the world. Squeeze, sponges, squeeze. Every day of the week is filled with opportunities to love. And to be loved. And that's what God calls us to do. (laughs) It was late November. All the worshipers arrived at the Lutheran Church, White Lake, North Dakota. White Lake, North Dakota. And they were met that morning by a rather disturbing sight because there on the stairs, the steps leading into the sanctuary, was a homeless man bundled up in an overcoat and a scarf with a knit caps pulled down over his eyes, had little gloves with all the fingers cut out, and one of those hands wrapped around a bottle of booze. Of course, you could smell him. You could smell him from 50 yards off. Don't light a match. And he sat there on the steps. And people would step over him. People would step around him. If he was on that side of the steps, people would go up this side of the steps. Some man said, you know, he's got to get off the steps before the Sunday school children come, and they see him here. Another man said, you know what? Why don't you go down to the Salvation Army downtown? You can sleep it off down there. There was one kind lady, though, who brought him a styrofoam cup of coffee out there on the steps. But you know what was really rough? Nobody invited him inside. Nobody invited him into the warmth of the sanctuary, and I'm sure in late November in North Dakota, it's rather coolish. Nobody even invited him to worship, probably because he smelled too bad. They didn't like people who smelled in their sanctuary. So people just ignored him, hoping that he would go away. You can imagine the surprise then, can't you? You know how this ends. As the choir processed, the small little choir down the central aisle, the individual following the choir was the beggar who walked all the way down, up and onto the pulpit area, taking off his knit cap, taking off his scarf, taking off his coat. It was the pastor. And the pastor turned to his congregation and said, God has asked us to love our neighbor. That means all of our neighbors. I can't think of a better example. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we are going to abide in him and allow him to abide in us, then the commandment we have is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that doesn't mean it's people who look like us, smell like us, or anything else. And I didn't say any of this was easy. Notice that nowhere in the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew is the word easy used when it says love your neighbor. And there aren't options or alternatives. It's clear and it's simple to love your neighbor. Folks, first and foremost, God has asked us to love one another. We may tithe, we may teach, we may serve, we may sing, we may sacrifice. We may visit on the behalf of the congregation. We might preach the gospel. We might clean the kitchen. We might sew quilts. We might sponsor the youth. We might even mow the lawn. All of those are necessary in the life of the church. But if we do all of those and do not love love God and do not love one another, it's all for naught. And we have missed the boat on what God truly wants of each and every one of us, to love. Would you bow your heads with me, please?